Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today we are joined by a very, very special guest, my good friend Alex. Um, and as we get started here on the show, we have a very interesting show for you guys today. We are going to be talking about the saints and were they crazy? Were they not crazy? In modern day terms, of course, did they suffer from mental illness? And what does that mean for us, for us as Catholics who are trying to follow our faith? You know, whether we suffer from mental illness or do we think that society might think that we're mentally ill for following our faith? You know, these are important topics that we need to discuss and talk about. And so I have my good friend Alex here, who is an expert in many ways, even though he's going to tell you he's not. But I'll show him how he's an expert and I'll tell you how he's an expert in a lot of these topics. Before we get started, just uh, quickly for all of our listeners, we do have a couple of conferences coming up here at the St. Joseph Chapel uh, in Covina. We have the Sex and Honor Conference coming up on August 7th, 2021. And we also have the Women's Conference coming up Saturday, December 18th here uh, at the chapel. Please go to our website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org, to sign up for those. Uh, for the conference on August 7th, Sex and Honor, I will be there along with Cherie Ballinger, who is a producer for Roe vs. Wade, and Mary Danielle Barber here from our very own VMPR family. Uh, we'll be discussing theology of the body. I'm also going to have a few giveaways for people if they want to show up. Um, a few surprise giveaways if you're here. We're going to raffle off a few things. Um, for today's show, before we get started, uh, Alex, you want to lead us in and our Father? Of course. Go ahead. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, interesting topic today for everybody. You know, when we're talking about, you know, we use the word crazy in society in general, um, and it can have very derogatory terms, and I think we, it means different things. Um, but we want to talk about what does that mean for us as Catholics, and let's look at the history of saints, because if we're all trying to achieve sainthood, um, sometimes we think of the saints as being so separate from us, such a different uh, breed of people, if you will, that have nothing to do with us or something we're striving to, and we forget sometimes that we're actually kind of right in the midst of it. We are supposed to be saints here and now. But before we get started, Alex, I want to introduce you a little bit and let our public know who you are. I met Alex at uh, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. As some of you know, I've been going to the Byzantine Church for the last couple of years, and it was great because during our pandemic, it was open, and we were able to uh, attend liturgy there. Um, and Alex is a speech pathologist. What do you do as a speech pathologist, Alex? Well, I treat language and speech disorders uh, mostly among kids, uh, adolescents mostly. And in terms of that, as a speech pathologist, is it that the people that you help out, the kids that you help out, is it because they don't know the language? Is it because they can't formulate the words? Or what's the, what, what is it that comes your way and what do you help people with? Well, when we assess children uh, at the beginning, we want to make sure that they are not struggling with language just because uh, they speak another language. That's not 
that that's another issue. Great point. Uh, it's not one that we what we work on. What I work on is children that have language disorders, meaning sometimes they have difficulty with word retrieval. They have more difficulty than most with constructing sentences, uh, putting their thoughts into words, um, that kind of thing. And then I also see kids that stutter or kids that um, have a speech impediment of some sort. And a lot of the children I work with have autism. Uh, and so they have some social language issues that they're working out and learning. That's very interesting. Now, do any of the kids that you treat, do, or do they have any mental health issues? You know, you mentioned autism, and that's in the mental health uh, aspect of it. But do you see as a result of them not being able to communicate, things of that nature, do they end up getting depressed, anxious, or needing therapy in that area? I can say that uh, over the years, there has been quite a few kids that have some overlap there. They have something going on um, cognitive, linguistically. They also have something going on social, emotionally. Mm -hmm. uh, and for our for our kids with autism, that can come up too um, because they they want to be social. They want to uh, have friends. But when you struggle with that, that can that can also hurt, you know, your heart. Uh, yeah, feelings. So because it's, it seems like sometimes we're speaking two different languages, if you will, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, the, the kids who need the help with the speech and then versus other kids who are, shall we say, mainstream, um, you know, because it's, sometimes we use the word normal. But really, in today's show, I want to kind of tackle that and say, well, what does normal really mean? We can look at what's mainstream and it's kind of what's normal for the majority. But then there's what's normal for the kids you treat. And so here's a here's a hard question for me to ask you, you know, that, that in terms of me, I don't know that's a hard answer, but. Does anybody ever say that you treat crazy kids or that the kids you treat are crazy? Uh, yes, people say lots of things. <laughs> like the short answer is, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, the word, uh, they, I like to use, the term that they use a lot in the field of autism is neurotypical. neurotypical. So we have neurotypical and neuroatypical. Um, and, and that's very open. I like that because it doesn't uh, assign any kind of disability necessarily mm -hmm. to it because there are people with autism who don't really have a disability. Right. They, they're different. And, and thank God for it. Uh, everyone's different. We need a little bit of okay. uh, spice in the community. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I like that term. I like neurotypical. I like also... Um, you know, in kind of more layman's terms, sometimes we say eccentric. Uh, I like that. Eccentric is is an open term. It, it doesn't necessarily mean, um, you know, disability, but someone who thinks differently, maybe acts differently. Uh, and, and all of those things are workable. You know, we work on who we are. It's interesting that you mentioned that because you're right. Like whenever we have friends or friends in groups and we say, oh, what's that person like? What's this person like? Whenever we say that person is eccentric, we kind of get an idea that they're a little bit different. They see things a little bit differently. They're a little bit more bombastic or whatever in their ways, whatever their eccentricity is. But the reality is, and we can't really deny this, when somebody is the eccentric, eccentric one in the group, um, they're kind of the ones that make the group fun. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> like if it weren't for that person, the group might be boring. Like, well, we, they're, they're different, but we need them along because we need them, we need them to give us the spice of life. Well, yeah. that being said, I mean, you, you put that very nicely. I love how you said, you know, neurotypical and things like that. They're, they don't really put a label or a disease on the person. And so that's kind of nice. It just kind of gives them more of a type, you know, like we're all different types of people and, and we get that and people have different hobbies, people have different interests. Well, this is just kind of a different interest or hobby, shall we say, almost in that, in that level or a different way of being whatever it is that that's going to bring that to mind versus seeing it as a a deficiency or as a somebody being handicapped or less than what does this mean to us so because we're talking about saints and some of the saints as we said had some of these eccentricities if you will or were a little bit different and i know that we're so used to here in our in our roman catholic world to hear about so many different saints and i've got a few saints that i'd like to talk about that had certain mental illnesses but you know you grew up more in the eastern right and know of the eastern saints that we might not be as familiar with but were there any saints there that you would say were that we know of that might have had some kind of a mental illness or might have had some kind of a what might be considered a drawback, but we're saints anyway. Yeah. I, you know, I've always been fascinated with the, the phenomenon of uh, holy fools, uh, fools for Christ sometimes, and which is, you know, uh, biblically based. Um, St. Paul calling us to uh, be fools for Christ, be, uh, accept the foolishness of the cross uh, rather than the reasoned uh, rationalizations of, well, at the time, you know, Greek philosophy. Uh, and so th- there are, there's a number of saints who either, in, in, on that subject, it seems like sometimes the church is uh, is split, or maybe there's just two kinds of holy fools, and that uh, some of them appear to be uh, acting crazy. Mm. They're not crazy. They're not suffering from any kind of mental illness, but uh, they behave in that way for the reason of either attracting humiliations uh, or maybe not letting people know how holy they are. Um, But then there's also those who genuinely do appear to have a mental illness, but that doesn't have any bearing on their level of sanctity. And these, these people were exceedingly holy. In the Roman church, I always, I I think of St. Joseph of Cupertino. Um, I don't know. Have you ever seen that, the movie, The Reluctant Saint? I don't, you know what? I don't know that I've seen it. You know what? I should say this. I don't recall. I might've seen it. If I watched it again, I might be like, oh yeah, I totally saw that. I don't recall off the top of my head, but tell us more about it. So tell us about St. Joseph of Cupertino. It's an old movie. I saw it years ago, but it's, uh, it's from the sixties, I think. And, uh, it's about it's a true story of St. Joseph of Cupertino, who um, was sort of, for lack of a better term, that he was considered the village idiot in his village. He was very slow cognitively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, historically, we look back at that and we try to figure out what exactly was going on. I'm, I'm not sure if anybody can really dial it in, but it, he was uh, he, he had a lot of trouble learning. He had a lot of trouble uh, speaking even, and uh, he couldn't do even the manual labor that his uh, that his mom wanted to set him up in, in a job. She desperately wanted him to be, you know, self-sufficient in some way. And uh, as the movie portrays in, in real life, uh, she had a, I think, an uncle or a cousin who was 
uh, Franciscan friar and a, and a superior. And she called on him to like, please take care of uh, my son. And he, he, he got him in. Uh, and so he, that's how he got into the friars. You know what? Hang on to that thought. That music means we're going to go to a break for a little bit. Alex is going to join us after the break to tell us a little bit more about what happened after he got into the Franciscans. That's interesting because you're going from not being able to take care of yourself to an order. More when we come back from the break. All right. Welcome back to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today we are talking about a very important topic, which is mental health among the saints. And what does that mean for us? Whether it be because the saints themselves suffered from mental health or they were thought of as having a mental illness for following the faith. We're joined by my good friend Alex from Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. And Alex was telling us about a saint who joined a monastery. So what was the saint's name again, Alex? It was St. John... Uh, St. Joseph Cupertino. St. Joseph Cupertino. Look at me. St. Joseph Cupertino. And you were saying he wasn't really highly regarded. He might've been a little bit delayed in his life and things like that. And his mom really wanted him to be taken care of. And so she sent him to a monastery. Yes. And as you might imagine, though I'm sure they were filled with charity, the other friars (laughs) had difficulty with him. Uh, he, He wasn't the typical... Uh, novice coming in and I think pretty quickly they decided he's not suitable for anything so they put him in the stable and he took care of horses and I think he liked that a lot Uh, he didn't want to come out and you know I won't give away uh, the entirety I'm I'm telling you kind of the play-by-play of the reluctant saint the movie that was made uh, based on his life but uh, he did begin to manifest uh, a lot of mystical uh, sort of phenomenon. He would he would levitate uh, during the liturgy. He um, he seemed to know things. Um, he's he's most famous for uh, the legends of him flying, um, which I, you know I don't I don't know how you explain that, uh, but uh, but that the two things put together I think uh, that definite disability of some sort um, or at least uh, you know a mental illness that was causing him to be a very special individual not your typical novice not your typical pious uh, friar but at the same time it became very evident that he was quite holy um, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I know we were talking about this before and what a beautiful story honestly speaking you know because this is where we look at in society, even among the friars, if you will, who are supposed to be these holy, pious men, and I'm not saying supposed to be, we're all trying to achieve that, but it is hard for us to sometimes relate to or know how to approach or care for somebody who might be considered delayed, mentally slowed, or not to our level. And I know that a lot of times, you know, the best intentions, people go into different holy orders and things like that, but there is an expectation of having an academic capacity, of having an intellectual capacity, And yet we see the beauty here of somebody who might be delayed, who maybe the best they can do is work in the horse stables, which is not the most of glamorous jobs, right? Brushing horses, cleaning up after the horses and things of that. But yet we see how God is working in the most humble of creatures to where he's the one who's levitating. You know, he's Superman, Mm -hmm. right? And how beautiful is that? And I remember you mentioned something to me. It kind of stuck with me as we were talking about this, where, you know, 
whatever your mental state has no bearing on your ability to achieve sanctity. You know, right. what a beautiful story. I think of, uh, when I think of the, um, you know, saints who suffered mental illness um, in terms of documented mental illness, I always think of the little flower for whatever reason, because St. Teresa Lucy, the little flower, you know, she's known as being a great saint and she came up with a little way and she realized how just on a day-to-day basis, if she could just, whatever her task was, whatever her chore was, whatever was assigned to her, if she could just apply love to that, love of God for that, and she did it, everything out of love for God, that was her, her road to sanctity. Um, and I remember one time I was reading uh, about her and how she was uh, in, the, in the mess hall or wherever they were eating and she was eating a piece of cake. Um, you know, and I guess it was very delicious and whatnot. And, and her fellow nuns, I don't know if you've heard the story, but her fellow nuns were kind of like, you know, who's she? She's this holy person. Where's the sacrifice? How come you're, you're enjoying this wonderful, delicate, you know, uh, uh, delicacy here of a piece of cake and sweetness. And how can you make that compatible with being so holy? You aren't supposed to be pious and sacrificed. And when they asked her about it, they confronted her with her. They said, you know, how, how can, how can you justify that? So to speak spiritually. And she said, I offer it up. Because I just offer everything up. You know, if, if I have a sacrifice or something heavy, I offer it up. If I'm tasting something delicious, I offer it up. It's all for love of God. And so that really kind of stuck with me where I was like, yeah, you know, a lot of times we think that we have to do these great things or we have to really achieve something or we have to really be very, very restricted and, and ascetic in our in our spirituality. But yet right before us is our, our path to holiness. Now, what her mental illness was, was actually anxiety and OCD, um, which is interesting because I can appreciate how I think she was very, very smart in if she was suffering from anxiety and OCD, finding her way of sanctity where it was just too simple. What can I do now? You know, I don't have to do something great. I don't have to do, you know, this miraculous thing. But if I'm already anxious and that contains me and if I suffer from OCD and God forbid I become scrupulous from that, you know, Mm -hmm. what what can I do? Well, all I can do is whatever is in front of me. This is what I'm supposed to do now. I'm just going to offer that to God. And that's my road to sanctity. I thought that was totally cool. That's amazing. Uh, I think something about that that really um, inspires me is that it it implies that there is a degree of accepting yourself because she knew she was she didn't call herself the big flower. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's a good point. She called herself a little flower. Yeah. So she recognized, you know, this is the way I am. And sometimes, I don't know, this is maybe this is just me, but sometimes I feel like I've got to fix all these things about my personality before I become holy, before God can do anything, which is ridiculous because God can do anything. And the way I am is the way God wants to work with me right now. Um, so recognizing that we have, there's some things that are, of course, sinful habits, passions that that we need to work on. Um, but then there are other things that are, you know, something like anxiety or, um, or even that scrupulosity that might have a, a mental health uh, component to it. Um, that's something that we bring to God. That's a re- you know what, that's a great point, especially for our listeners. I want them to understand how powerful what you just said is, you know, this is very, very important in terms of you're absolutely right. Sometimes we wait, to present ourselves to God, so to speak, until we feel we've cleaned up and we're ready. And, you know, I can't go to church. Okay, here's what I'm going to do first. And this is my list. And I'm going to do so many prayers first. I'm going to do, and I'm going to be doing all this stuff kind of like a Martha situation 
when God really wants us to be merry and says, I already know who you are, choose the better part. I already know what's on your list. I already know what you think you need to do, but just present yourself. And, and I am happening now, you know, regardless of what's happening. It reminds me a little bit of, you know, not, not to change the topic, but a little bit of the prodigal son where, you know, if you look at the prodigal son story, he went away and he got to the point where he was probably depressed is my guess. You know, he got to the point where he was, he was eating with the pigs and I think even the pigs were probably eating better than, I don't know. But when he went back to present himself to his father, he didn't say, I'm going to wait till I shower. You know, I think he, I think he showed up smelling like pigs, you know, yeah. and, and he was accepted and, and it was, it was his dad who was able to clean him up. Uh, he couldn't do it himself at that point. You know, he had to show up dirty and it was his dad who had to put the ring back on him and get his clothes and throw the party for him. And get, he told his servants, hey, get him cleaned up. I think that's kind of like for us, if for our listeners, if they can understand what you're saying is, you know, if we are feeling dirty right now, show up before God and he'll probably send the angels to clean us up and to understand how to pray or to know how to think uh, in that way. I think that's beautiful. Thanks, Alex. Sure. Yeah, the, the recognition, God wants us humble, right? That's the, the first and and in some ways only uh, yeah. thing that he wants of us. And it's it's uh, for the prodigal son, it was humility that finally came to him that recognized, I can't clean myself up. I know I should. I'd love to come before my father sparkling clean, but I can't. And and if we can get to that spot. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think that there's there has to be that recognition, that recognition of, as Christ tells us, I can't do this on my own. And I think that we that's part of the, the where we might falter, if you will. Not so much. I don't want our listeners to think that it's like we're prideful and we're doing that. I think it's that we're used to, you know, if I'm going to show up to a party or something, I better get cleaned up. I better mm-hmm. clean myself up. But when it comes to the spiritual life, when it comes to something along the lines of, I don't think I'm good enough for God. I don't think I'm good enough because I've been diagnosed with schizophrenia or I don't think I'm good enough because I've been diagnosed with depression or anxiety. I have to write, like I have to lift myself out of that. I think that we kind of do ourselves a disservice, if you will, like a spiritual disservice if we're not ready or if we don't kind of help ourselves to think, now this is where I'm at. I might might be down. I might be dirty in the eyes of the world, but I got to present myself before God because it's kind of like when Jesus tells us, you know, the vine and the branches. If I'm, if I'm a branch to a vine, there's nothing I can do. Uh, my only nutrients come from the vine, so I better present myself because I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you know of any other saints in the Eastern tradition or any other saints that you know of that might have suffered from mental illness or anything like that? I know uh, in the Eastern Church, we, we just recently celebrated St. Simeon, um, who was... Uh, he was one of a uh, uh, you know a whole class of saints who were who behaved very strangely, but often in a prophetic way, and that's that's the other element of you know the holy fool is is um, an element of being a, a prophet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beneficial to the community around them because it's it's a humbling, you know, it's one thing to listen to your bishop which you ought to do, uh, to teach. <laughs> um, but also sometimes God wants to speak through lowlier, uh, voices. Um, and, and so St. Simeon was known for sort of playing tricks on the, the wise and powerful. Uh, and then in, uh, in Eastern Orthodoxy, I know that they are celebrating maybe even today, uh, St. Basil, fool for Christ, or he's the one uh, after whom the Kremlins 
beautiful cathedral mm-hmm. is named. That's a cathedral of St. Basil, and it's not St. Basil the Great, uh, but rather St. Basil Fool for Christ, who's probably most famous um, for basically being homeless, scraggly, uh, shoplifting, and handing it over to the poor. I'm not advocating for that. Uh, <laughs> um, but then most famous for rebuking publicly Ivan the Terrible, who's the most powerful person in you know Eastern Europe at the time. Uh, and he was able to tell him play by play all of the things that he had been willfully daydreaming about during the liturgy. That's and Ivan the Terrible was shocked and I terrible. think kind of scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's got to be, you know, and that's got to be interesting too because that's another thing that that is very powerful is that I think sometimes we as human beings our nature is to like I was saying before, we turn to who we think is learned uh, or intellectual or has studied or has degrees or things of this nature. You know, we're always trying to look for titles after our name and that's who we think we're supposed to listen to, um, to understand the truth or to understand what God's calling us to. While at the same time, we forget that God can speak through anybody and we shouldn't really discount somebody just because they might be homeless or, you know, the truth is going to come from, from places that we least expect it. I think in, in many ways we need to be ready to listen to the, uh, for that. Cause I know I, I can think of times in my life where literally this is sad, but literally it could be because my mom told me something I might've discounted it. Cause I'm like, Oh, that's my mom. You know? And then later on it comes back and bites me and I'm like, Oh man, she was right. You know, but I discounted it not because I don't respect my mom, but because I think, Oh, mom's just being mom. And then yeah. I'm like, Oh my goodness, she was totally right. Well, you know, that's very, very interesting. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk not only about mental illness uh, in the saints, but what does our faith mean to us? And if we're going to practice our faith, is there anything that might make us look like we are not well in the head? We're going to talk about that when we come back from the break. All right, well, welcome back to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today, we are talking about the saints, mental illness, and what might make us look like crazy as Catholics to the world around us. We're joined by my very good friend, Alex, from Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. Um, And we are talking about, you know, different saints, what's going on in their lives, and what does that look like to us? Just to throw out a few names here, you know, for anybody listening St. Dymphna, if you've not heard of her, is actually a patron saint of mental illness. Um, she suffered from depression and, and uh, other uh, mental illnesses. I believe it was some anxiety too, but for sure from depression. Um, there's other saints who have suffered from depression as well and anxieties that you can always pray to. We were talking about the little flower. We were talking about saints like uh, St. Joseph of, I forget his last name, Alex. It's a, a Cupertino. A Cupertino, who I'm sure I've heard of, but I, for whatever reason, doesn't come to me right off the bat. But, you know, saints who struggled, not just because they were suffering from mental illness, but because they were looked at differently as well because of this. And because who knows, all of a sudden it makes us question our relationship with God. Are we good enough? Are we not good enough? But in that respect, as we're following our Catholic faith, there might be some things that we do or that we've heard saints do that might make it seem like, there's some kind of mental illness with us. I mean, the first thing I can think of is, if we recall correctly, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down to the apostles and they came out and they were on fire and they were preaching, people said, wait, are they drunk? 
Are they mentally ill? What's going on? Right away, they were happy. They were preaching. They were speaking in different languages. And they were just, my guess, is on a roll. Um, and that looked a little bit off-putting to the public. What do you think about that, Alex? I, I can see that. Uh, <laughs> definitely sometimes, you know, where, where you get the firm impression that uh, when Jesus was talking, people were going, you know, is, are you hearing this? Is this uh, really what this guy is preaching? And, because, and obviously, that's exactly what we needed to hear. Um, but yeah, the reception, uh, it's the gospel truth butting up against our human nature. Yeah. That's not ready for it yet. And it's, and you know, and Christ, just like you said, Christ himself told us, you know, the world rejected me first. They're going to reject you. You know, that, that's just a fact of life. And it takes me back to when Jesus was telling the, the, the Jews, you know, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you're not going to have life within you. And they were right. like, what? And uh -huh. he was like, no, I'm telling you. And he's like, amen, amen, unless you do this. And they're like, what? And at that point, a bunch of the crowd left. Right, because yeah. obviously they thought this guy's nuts. What's right, that? and people who had been following him, not just not just randoms. No, no, people who had been following him along, and then he he comes down to the bottom line truth, like, hey, you know, we can talk about whatever, but this is the bottom line. We got to talk about the Eucharist. He's like, right. we got to talk about the Eucharist here. I got I got to lay it out for you. And you're right, people who had been following him all the time, and all of a sudden they're gone. And then he turns to the apostles, and he's like you know, you guys, this is your chance if you want to get out of here. And I think it was right. St. Peter, right? Who said, where am I going to go? You have the words of life. Uh, yeah. But I think that that's what it takes. I think that that's what it takes to be a saint. I think we do have to be a little bit crazy in the eyes of the world where we might hear something, we might see something that's not going to make sense to the world, that the world's going to, going to walk away from, but we've got to kind of have the courage. And I say courage because it's not easy for do. It's not, it's not easy to do. It's not always easy for me to do, to say, where am I going to go, Christ? You have the words of God, of life while the world rejects me. You know, I think, I think that that can be really hard. I think of things like, um, I've always been impressed by, and I think this is East and the West of the, the fathers of the desert, um, and who go into, as they say, the, the theater, they go into, you know, the, the desert and they sit there and they pray and they talk about that mental strain, that, that anguish where people might be like, why are you doing that? Why are you just going off into the desert and praying? But they talk about, they're going into it for them. It's a battle. And they're sitting there and they're saying, I, I've got to be out here and pray and I got to stay here. And a lot of them leading was a sign of almost weakness or you're losing the battle. And that might seem like a little strange to people, you know, while they're trying to follow the faith wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can see, you know, there's always with any, anything where we're depriving ourselves, uh, you know, the ascetical life, we, we're going to deprive ourselves of some food to deprive ourselves of, uh, in the case of the uh, desert fathers of cushy houses in the city. Um, they, they, I doubt were very comfortable living in the Egyptian desert, uh, in, in a cave. Uh, but they, that's not our, our human nature is not to willingly deprive ourselves of things. And in our culture today, I know we were talking about it earlier. Um, that's very much against the grain, very much to deprive yourself of anything. Absolutely. I mean, Christ said, you know, if, if really, when it comes down to it, you're not going to get rid of some demons without prayer and fasting. 
And that, mm -hmm. you know, we could talk about deliverance and talk about real demons, but we can also think of it as in terms of our own, say, personal, we say in, in our everyday language, say our personal demons, right? And it right. could be like whatever it is we're struggling with in particular, whatever it is that we are um, battling. I think that sometimes our battles seem so big and so strong that it might almost seem silly to say, you know what, if I don't eat that cookie, I'm actually going to overcome something huge. I mean, and it sounds silly even saying it, like, really? A cookie? Like not eating a cookie? But it's not the cookie itself. It's the process of my self-denial that I think some has a spiritual component to it that we can't necessarily see because we're so used to the physical comforts. Um, yeah. But that's got to be huge. I mean, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think that's exactly right on. In the, in the Eastern Church, there's a... Uh, they speak of the passions, so, sort of a little bit different vocabulary than in the West. Um, yeah, but a passion being any kind of like a thirst for something. And we all have them. Uh, we have a thirst for, you know, notoriety, thirst for people liking us. We have a thirst for, well, tasty food and, um, and, and just the creature comforts. Um, and in the East, there's very much that idea of uh, and in the West too, uh, but an emphasis on fighting those passions, subduing those passions, not letting them own you. But I, I love that. You know what I love about that? I love the, I, I've really learned to love the Eastern terminology because I think it, at least personally, it makes a whole lot of sense to me. You know, in the West, not that we're, not that we're off, but when I hear the word difference in the West, we would say we have temptation. You know, mm -hmm. we have a temptation to be loved. We have a temptation to be, you know, adulated and thought of as, as great, or we have a temptation to food. You know, you got to fight these temptations. I love the fact that in the East they use the word passions because mm -hmm. that means something because a temptation is like, oh, oh, oh. But the reality is when you look at it, it's a passion. And when somebody has a passion for something, they have a drive for it. They're going to try to, you right. know, it's almost like, uh, let's say somebody, if you, if you hear somebody say, oh, they really have a passion for photography. You know that they're studying it. They're thinking about it. It consumes them. They, they like it. It brings them joy and it, um, you know, they pursue it and any chance they get in their free time, that's what they do. I love the fact that a passion can be thought something negative, shall we say, can have a passion drive to it. Cause I think that that's fair. I think we don't talk, we don't look at it in that way. And I think that when we do look at it in that way, it's fair to say this is going to be a battle because I have a passion towards this. If I don't focus on this, then guess what? I'm going to start being consumed. This sin is going to become my hobby and that, that can be pretty dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, it, uh, it, it helped me a lot to recognize, I, I'm embarrassed to say how long it took me to make the connection, but, uh, between passion and passive, uh, comes from the same root word. And when you're passive, something is acting upon you. Uh, and these passions, they act upon us. We think we just like eating Twinkies, but really, <laughs> right. it's passion, that appetite that is pushing us, um, almost like something that's outside of us, though it is, you know, of course, in our own heart, that's where we find all those things, but, uh, but acting upon us, um, it gives it, it gives you a nice a target or an enemy to uh, direct your prayers against. It's interesting that you mentioned that because, this, you know, even conversations like this, this is where I, where I want our listeners to understand. As we're talking like this, if the rest of the world hears our conversation, they might think, you guys are nuts. 
Mm-hmm. Like, like, what do you what do you mean that that candy bar is acting on you? It's right there, but and but there's this whole battle that we don't see that people might think, hey, that's kind of crazy what you guys are doing because it doesn't yeah. make sense to the tangible world, to the to the social world who's very focused on, dude. You should really just kind of focus on getting yourself a nice house and, and a good car, and you know, focus on that kind of stuff. But you're getting way too intense. Like, what is this? And and the reality is, if we're going to follow our faith, we have to say these are the words of life. You know, mm-hmm. are we going to walk away from this battle, from this conversation? That might be the truth. That might not be a polite truth to the world, but yet for us, this is like, no, this is actually what's important. You know, everything else kind of doesn't matter. And to the world, it's total, total flip-flop. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for it, it's very hard to get, it's just human nature at any time period and any culture. Um, you, you know, your first instinct is, uh, I, I want a nice place to live. I'll be happy if I can quench that appetite, give it, give it enough. If I give a lot to it and I have a nice house, that, that uh, desire will go away and I'll be content. But we know that's not, that's not the truth. It's interesting because if you apply that to what you just said, then guess what? That house is passively acting on you right? That's my, that's, if that's my passion, if if my passion is geared towards the material or towards something that might be disordered according to what we're taught in our faith, then we're passively being acted on by that. So do I own the house or does the house own me, right? At the end of the day. And when we look at what the world tells us, it's like, that's kind of crazy talk. You're you own your house, you bought it. What do you mean it owns you? You, what are you talking about? But that could sound a little bit like you guys are off, you know? Um, I think another thing that makes us sometimes maybe to the world seem like we're off is when it comes time to something like confession, you know, when we have to, when we have to look inside and say, gosh, this isn't right. Or, or, and and the world's kind of like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, none of this is going to hurt you. Like who cares that you did that? How's that going to affect you? But I think that there's a real loss of a sense of a soul that is living. Shall we say, we talk about the soul almost as a passive thing that, yeah, of course I have a soul. But if we think about the body and how we have to eat and we have to drink, the soul itself is eating and drinking and things like that. But we don't think about it that way because that might sound crazy. <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's there's all kinds of things uh, that come from the core of the gospel that are, are sound cuckoo, too. And, and I think they did at the time. Um, even when Jesus was saying, you know, uh, it, it, it said, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, um, do good to those who hate you. Uh, you, you know, the, the people listening to that the first time it came out and even from the mouth of Jesus, who they believed in and they they still struggled with that and we struggle today that's a great point i mean the human nature is human nature whether it was way back when or now all those truths are hold the same amount of truth now as they did back then when we come back from the break we're going to talk about what does this mean to us that we've been talking about and maybe some solutions or how we can approach it as catholics All right. Well, welcome back here to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Uh, For those of you joining us today, today we are joined by a very special guest, my friend Alex from the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. Um, 
you know, we're talking about mental illness, we're talking about the saints, and we're talking about our own sanctity and how this applies to us as Catholics in terms of following our faith and becoming saints ourselves, hopefully. You know, this can, it can kind of feel overwhelming sometimes when, when we think about it. It can feel like, wow, this is just too much. What am I going to do um, in terms of how do I follow my faith? How do I uh, make my life better? How do I overcome any mental illness or physical illness I may have? And how do I become a saint? These people seemed amazing. And what do you think, Alice? Do you think it really is overwhelming? Do you think it should be? Or what would your bottom line be on that? It's, it's overwhelming every time that I think I'm doing it. Ah, that's the best answer I think I've ever heard. Go ahead, speak on that. So if I, which is all the time, I'm, I'm constantly, uh, you know, thinking that I'm the one running this project, the Alex Sanctity project. Um, but, but of course I'm not. And thank God, because I can't do it. I, I can't make myself holy. I can't make myself moral even, um, I'm trying, uh, but I'm relying on God's grace uh, and prayer to obtain that grace um, in order to even be pointed in that direction. So I think that that's where our trust can come from. You know, that's, that's a great point because one of the things that that's very interesting, I think, even though people go to church, you know, and if you're going to the Roman church, sometimes there's a whole lot of people in the congregation. And, you know, we have a little bit of a smaller community compared to other churches, but there's a lot of people in our congregation as well. Um, I think that for our listeners, I think it, it resounds with all of us, even though we're in church with a whole lot of people, it can actually be a lonely place. Like you're sitting there and sometimes it's very easy to, to think like, people are holier or beat ourselves up over it because we think we're doing it alone and we're sitting there and we're just kind of feel like we're on our own in this journey. And while I will say that our relationship with Christ is unique and that it is my own relationship that can be uh, separate from anybody else's, I think it's important to remember that it's like, I'm not doing this alone. God is there with me. And probably everybody here feels as lonely as I do. If we start thinking that I'm the one who's going to you know, get, I'm the one who's going to get me to heaven versus no, you know, I got to help Jesus because he's the one who's doing the work and I got to put my part in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it brings up a funny story. Years ago, I started a young adult group, um, at a church that was really on fire. Um, the priests supplied us with everything spiritually, but one thing that was sort of lacking was a, a young adult group. We met each other at, at liturgy and retreats, but but we needed to come together. And so, it started a young adult group, and I think it was blessed in many ways, and it grew very quickly. And I was sort of in charge of it just because I was the one that said, hey, let's do this. <laughs> you spoke up. <laughs> and and, uh, and the priests set us up with one of them chose to be our spiritual director like for the group. And so I would meet with him. And maybe the second time I met with him, overwhelmed by, you know, all these people that were coming and people who were so pious and, and so good um, and dedicated, I said, yeah, it's growing like crazy, but sometimes I feel like I'm like the least holy person there. And the priest, God love him, he said, well, someone has to be. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> funny. You know, and, and uh, it, it changed my outlook. I've remembered that for years because 
someone does have to be someone has to be at the bottom of the totem pole and uh and it's great to be able to accept where you are we were talking earlier about the little flower um and thinking of yourself as small that's not a bad thing that's god will help you grow that's a good point around you and you see a lot of holy people you're in a good spot. That, that's a really, really good point because it really is a test of humility in the sense of not that we're not humble people, but a humility in the sense of like being able to say, well, God, if this is where you want me and this is good enough for you, then it's good mm-hmm. enough for me. I'm going to, I'm going to do my part, but I should realize that if I'm in the, shall we say the lowest spot, whether it be in my mind or, or in the eyes of the world or whatever it is, if that's what's happening in my interior, that I believe I'm in the lowest spot, I got to somehow have that faith and believe that this is, you know, you're in charge and this is where you want me right now, then I'm going to settle in peace right in this spot. Like regardless, it it shouldn't matter if other people think I'm greater or lesser. Because another thing that's important to consider too, and if we start reading the lives of the saints, um, I was reading uh, the Divine Mercy book by Sister Faustina and she mentions how, and this is true of a lot of saints, when they enter the convent or when they start their first steps and truly trying to grow deeper in in, um, their journey with God, one of the challenges is that all of a sudden they feel alone. They feel that God's left them alone and they don't feel that presence of God. And I think that that can be really hard too, because that's where that loneliness, that feeling of, boy, I'm really bad. I'm no good. You know, God left me alone. I'm, I'm feeling all alone in this and being able to say, yeah, I'm probably the least holiest person here. And that's okay. I think that's a true testament of faith. That's gotta be tough. Yeah. It's, I think I needed a lot. I probably do still need a lot of shots of humility. So and I think the reassurance is good too. I mean, I'm right there with you, you know, where in terms of, I think a lot of times for myself, I feel like one of the things I need to work on is it's okay to not get reassurance. You're still doing okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like just keep doing what you're doing. It's going to be okay. If it's not, somebody will tell you otherwise, or God will guide you otherwise, but don't keep looking for reassurance to keep going down the path, you know, right. or, or spiritual consolations or whatever they call it. Because uh, sometimes they say if you're getting spiritual consolations, you must be really low in your <laughs> in your spiritual life. But at the same time, I think that's important because it can be a lonely place. You're not going crazy. You're not losing it. It's it's not easy to follow um, the the spiritual life that's been laid out before us if we start looking at the catechism and we start looking at how we're supposed to follow our faith. Yeah. Agreed. Most assuredly. And so then, in terms of let's say like when you're dealing with um, when you're doing speech, speech pathology and you, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying you're God, I mean, you're pretty close, but I'm not saying you're God, but, uh, but just to give, you know, the audience a perspective, you're there and you, you're in a different place compared to the people you're helping, obviously, cause you are, you are helping. And I think that this is important. I think this is where I think you're much of an expert in this area and you might not even realize in a spiritual way, but you're helping people communicate and people who it seems like they can't communicate. They don't know how to communicate at the level that shall we say the rest of people can communicate, but you're helping them to learn that. What do you think of these people? The the people whom I'm treating? Yeah. Like whether it be the adolescents or the, yeah, whoever you're treating, what are your thoughts on them? I, you know, to be honest, I'm often really impressed with them because what they're doing, what they're trying to do with what they've got is so much harder than I, you know, I have a lot of, interns that I see, um, I, you know, I get a new crew of them each semester, it seems. And one of the things I point out to them very often is, uh, 
those of us who go into speech pathology, it's usually because we love language. We love mm-hmm. talking. Mm-hmm. We love words. Um, but that's not our clientele. And we have to recognize that we're very different in many ways uh, from our clientele. Our, our clientele, they struggle with words. They struggle with language. It's hard. And so here's something for you. Here's something for our listeners. When you were there, would you say, and tell me if this is fair or not, this is what I'm assuming, but would you say that you can understand what they're saying after working with them, after being with them, better than sometimes even their parents or better than other people? Is that fair or no? Yeah, that's fair, especially, you know, kids with speech impediments. Mm-hmm. There, there are patterns to it for sure. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's hard to pick up on those sometimes. But if you hear it over and over and over, the same patterns, then, yeah. And this is where I'm saying, this is where I think that I'm not saying you're God, but I'm saying it's a very godly position. And the way, the reason I say that is I think that a lot of times we're trying to speak and we don't know how. It's like we have a speech impediment and, and we, we don't know how to speak. And if, and if we just kind of keep talking to God, he's going to see our patterns and he's going to get us better than anybody else. And we're going to know that he gets us, you know, whether it be because of mental, whatever it is, we feel we're mentally ill or we're just not, we're struggling with something and it's bringing us down as a present. But I think that if we keep speaking, even in patterns that might seem off, God knows mm. what we're talking about. And only he's going to pick that up that I don't, I shouldn't expect the rest of the world to figure out how I'm speaking, you know, right. when I'm speaking to God, when I have that individual relationship with God, because you have a very individual relationship with each of these kids. And that's mm-hmm. why I think that when they say something, you might be like, oh, no, 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 this is what he, I know what he's doing. Yeah. And I know to the rest of the world, it seems off, but this is what's happening right now. I can tell you that because I know this person intimately, if you will, uh, and yeah. that way I've, I've been with them long. I think that we forget that that's what happens to us too. If we just spend time in front of the tabernacle, we spend more time in prayer, we're going to kind of keep that relationship where we might be stumbling through, but God's going to be, you know, to the rest of the world, we're stumbling, but God's, when it comes time, God's like, no, 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 I know you. I know what you mean. I'm in the area. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, it really always strikes me those stories of, uh, there's a number of stories of the saints or um, where they had visions or something of that, of that last judgment. Um, and in one way or another, uh, experience Christ saying, no, this one's with me. Yeah. He's right. Isn't that cool? You know, um, he's not subject to, uh, you know, this judgment judgment. that he may deserve, but he's with me. That's, that's amazing. And that brings, you know, that touches me as you're saying that, because I think of being in that moment and gosh, I would love to be in that place where you spend enough time with somebody and even if they broke all the rules and even, but you understand them and they're Mm -hmm. like, no, he's, you come this way. I'm going to take care of you. Like, I don't know what's going on over there. There's going to be judgments. There's going to be this and that, but you yeah. spent enough time with me and stumbled with me. And I think of it as like when back in my teaching days, when, um, as, if a kid came every day after school or often enough and struggled with the subject matter and didn't really get it, but I knew that they were putting in their best effort, even if at the end of the day, they didn't get a great grade, I would find ways to get them extra credit to count for all the, all the work that they did. And they'd get up with a better grade, not because they didn't deserve it or, or to say, oh, well, Dr. Sandoval, we're just handing out grades, people who didn't know. No, because I knew what they knew and what they were, what the test showed didn't show me what they truly knew. You know, right. and that, I think that that's what we need to think about. So, you know, our, our time's up almost here. We got a minute to go here in the show. And I want to say one, thank you so much for joining us, Alex, uh, for this great show. I think it was a wonderful, wonderful topic. And I know that we're going to have you back on 
for more topics down the road uh, if you if you would grace us with your presence. Uh, <laughs> but to our, our audience, I want to say, if you feel like you're struggling, if you feel like you're having a hard time with anything, you know, keep in mind, keep down that road, keep doing what you're doing and feel free to email me if there's ever any questions or anything like that. Again, my email is doctor, that's dr.sandovalvmpr at gmail.com or you can go on our website and leave me a message uh, when you can contact us. So again, thank you for joining us. If anybody feels like they're having any issues with mental illness, feel free to you know speak to a mental health professional. Feel free to open up your Bible. You never know what's going to touch your heart, what's going to touch your mind, that's going to inspire you, make you feel better, and get you some kind of healing. Until next week, this is Dr. Louis Sandoval signing up for the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Thank you for joining us, Alex, and we will see you all soon. <laughs>